Good morning, church. My name is Javita Dennis, and I'm a member of the University City Community Group. We are a very diverse group on the northeast side of Charlotte, so if you are living on that side of town, or if you have children, because we have children on various educational levels in our group, come on and join us. This morning's reading comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 15, verses 12 through 25. On the following day, When they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers." And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out to the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he, that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you for your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Good morning. My name is Josh Kim. I'm an assistant pastor here at Christ Central Church, and we're glad that you could join us in person as well as online. For those who are joining us online, uh, we're glad that we could join us to celebrate what God is doing in our midst, in our church, in our lives uh, this morning. Before I begin this morning, I want to take a short time to give a quick pastoral comment about where we are as a church in light of the pandemic, as well as a quick update on our General Assembly, uh, the 48th General Assembly that I had a privilege of attending, and thank you for sending me to that. I want to give you a quick update about that, and I promise you'll be short and quick, because I know we have a sermon to get to, so please, as Pastor Howard used to say, this is not a sermon, right? Just, just bear with me for a little bit. Uh, just Pastor comments quickly, just, I just want to thank you all for uh, sticking with your church during this time. I know that we are still asking you to wear a mask 
and our children ministry is uh, coming along, and our nursery ministry is coming along as well. And I just want to thank you not only for all of you that are sitting here, all the children that are sitting here going through the worship, you are part of our church. And we know it is not the easiest thing to sit through our worship at times without a children's church or without nursery. Uh, but I want to thank you for that too. And also the parents that are sticking with us through this time. And as we hear the children crying in the background, you know, I used to say, this is life. This is what it means to be, uh, if we really say a church is a family of God, that doesn't mean that we only have adults in the church. It doesn't mean that you only have adults in the household. We have all kinds of age groups, different people coming to our church that includes our children. And Jesus says, let children come to me. And as you see all the children's ministry, youth ministry, but we really believe it is important for us as a church to disciple our children. And sometimes that means by having them in our worship. Amen? Amen. So it, we know it's hard. We know we're wearing a mask. And as my son will often say, it's not easy to wear a mask for the duration of our worship. So I want to thank you for that. We're working really hard behind the scenes. It's not like we're just following a blank mandate. We have our um, healthcare committee that we meet with uh, that consists of our members in our church there are doctors and nurses, the experts in this area that are wrestling through this Delta variant, what it means for us to love one another well. We're listening to them. We're having these meetings. Our nursery coordinators that are really working in how to make, not only to reopen our nursery, but also to how to make this safe, not only physically from the virus, but also make this place a safe for our children to be in, to thrive and grow. So I want to encourage us to pray with us. Pray for us. Let's do this together as a church. Our goal as a church, as a famous hymn goes, is not leaning on the left or leaning to the right, as uh, politics often make us do in this time, but our goal is leaning on the everlasting arms of our Father. Amen? So please stay with us. Wrestle with us. We hope to relaunch soon in many of these areas. That means we need volunteers. We need you to partake in it as we wrestle through this season. And again, thank you for your faithfulness. God is really at work in our church. Amen? Amen. I just also want to give you a quick update about General Assembly. We are part of a Presbyterian church in America. And every year, uh, once a year, we gather together as all the pastors, all the elders that are serving in the churches statewide, as well as even missionaries fly into this to gather to talk about important things about church, we are what we call a connected church, local body that has independent authority at the same time connected to various churches around the world, as we would say. So this past um, month, at the, towards the end of June to July, we held the 48th General Assembly with a, with a theme, Proclaiming the Unhindered Kingdom. Our denomination stands to be true to the scripture, the true to the Reformed faith and obedient to the Great Commission. It was held in St. Louis. I had a privilege to go to. Pastor Mari uh, attended this as well as part of Covenant Day School. And our own Kelly Brown, uh, our first lady, attended this as an operation manager as AAM. I made sure to tell her, you're in sabbatical, so I'm going to just keep calling you operation manager, not my first lady. But we had a chance to attend this. We had over 15 no, 1,503 teaching elders, we call them pastors, 
and 613 ruling elders, a record number at that, and we wrestle over 48 overtures. And if you don't know what that is, you can read more about that online, but overtures are basically the presbyteries come up with these things and say, let's deal with this at our General Assembly at large, and we deal with various issues with church book of order, theology, and any matters that pertains to church. A couple highlights I want to highlight that happened uh, that really um, got me excited about our church as well as what God is doing. At this um, GA, uh, African-American Ministries of PCA announced uh, Pastor Howard Brown as an associate coordinator as well as Kelly Brown as operation manager. I, knew, I know that we knew about this, but it was proclaimed as official business at this GA. And uh, obviously, Pastor Brown wasn't there because of sabbatical, but he was sorely missed, as many asked me about him. There was an interim study report on human sexuality that was adopted. You could find that report online as well, 12 statements that um, many leaders within our church really wrestle with in coming with that. There's a lot of pastoral thoughts that come out of that as well and hope to cover that in coming weeks. Uh, from, you could read about it and then we'll reference to it time to time from our pulpit. Um, but more than anything else, there's a lot of things you could, again, read about what happened. But church, one thing that I was amazed by as I went to our GA was I met so many Christ Central lights that went through our church. And because it was my first General Assembly, uh, I met many of them. Obviously, I didn't know who they were, uh, but they knew me, and they knew Pastor Omari, who I was with, basically, the whole time, and uh, many of them just share so much of the impact that Christ Central had on their life. And I want to share that, because oftentimes we talk about church, and we often think about our church in these four walls, and we forget that the impact that we as a church have uh, goes beyond these walls. I'm not just talking about that we're not, I'm not saying we're better than others, I'm, just, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the impact. The church of Christ is more than a building. And what we do today as we gather to worship, as we continue to wrestle together to lean on the arms of our everlasting Father, has an impact not only in our denomination, but the many people that we'll come across, not only in our church, but in our workplaces, in our families. And that was what I was reminded of at our General Assembly. And if you want to know more about that, please do talk to me afterwards. We'd love to share more. Um, and God is at work within our church, in our denomination. We're still wrestling with difficult issues, but we hope as a church to be, again, true to the scripture, to the Reformed faith, and ultimately obedient to the Great Commission, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Okay, that was not a sermon. <laughs> sermon preaching, as you know, is rooted in the word of God. It's not about what I think. It shouldn't just be about what I experience either. We turn to the scripture as we read this morning, the word of God to speak to us, speak powerfully into our lives. And as we hear something falling on the background, we believe the word of God, maybe there was a dramatic effect the word of God has had, you know? Word of God has impact in our lives and we preach through a book of the Bible. And we're in the Gospel of Mark for those who have been joining us for a while because that's what we believe in Christ Central Church. We're going to preach through the entire book at a time. And sometimes we do that. We come across fairly straightforward text in the Scripture as Pastor Mike 
preached powerfully about the glory of God in Christ, as Jesus clearly states in Matthew, uh, Mark, rather, chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But at other times, we come to a text like what you and I read this morning. It is as confusing as any biblical text can be. And as Pastor Alistair Bagg once said, this text is described as being bristled with difficulties, to say the least. The question is, what is this victory all of a sudden has to do with the rest of the story? The cursing of the tree, flipping over the tables, the withered tree, has to do with Christ and this king's ministry. Why is this interaction with the tree and Christ an important part of chapter 11 after all, let alone rest of the story? What does it ultimately point to? And what does it have to do with us today as the scripture speaks to us? As we wrestle with these questions, we see two truths from today's story, and they are the warning of the tree and the promise of the tree. Two points today, the warning of the tree and the promise of the tree. First thing we'll look at is the warning of the tree. My wife and I recently celebrated our eighth year anniversary. Thank you, thank you. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I still cannot believe she said yes to this day, and many of you feel the same way. And unlike any other year, especially since last year, due to pandemic, we had our anniversary in a parking lot, eating Shake Shack together. I wanted to go all out for this anniversary. So I did what I know many of you would do, or actually one thing that I know how to do, Google most romantic anniversary possible, right? (laughs) And some of you may think, wait, Pastor Jay, you did that before. You talked about that from the pulpit, and you failed miserably. And I was thinking, yes, that's right. But I typed in this time, most romantic anniversary in Chicago, because I was in Chicago at the time, thinking it's going to be something different. And I think there's a picture here, and I came across the pictures that show how happy this can be. So I was looking for most romantic anniversary, and they said boat dinner by the lake, And look at these pictures. Don't they look happy? Especially that picture on my left top with the fireworks in the background, with the the woman hugging the man, and I thought that's going to be me at the anniversary, thinking this is it. So I found this amazing deal online and said, I'm going to go all out and be that guy right there, celebrating anniversary with my wife. What more romantic and awesome can this be? What promise this brings to me? What joy is it going to be? Well, I didn't factor in the fact that my wife can get motion sickness on a small boat. The weather in Chicago, if you went to Chicago, you know, can turn from 90 to 60 in over a day, and it did on the day we're supposed to be out in the boat, and it also rained that night. So we couldn't even enjoy the view. It was so cold that day. Not only so, we were stuck in the boat for four hours. And we were done with the dinner even before the boat tour began. (laughs) And we're thinking, what are we going to do? Get us out of here. I don't want to be stuck here for four hours. Definitely not what we, actually, what I expected of this. And my wife, 
She shared in the most loving and encouraging way possible, let's never do this ever again. <laughs> that was my anniversary. Church, when we get to the chapter 11 of Mark, Jesus seems to have a similar disappointment with a fig tree and the temple. The beginning of Mark 11 is what we call a triumphal entry, which marks the beginning of the Passion Week. We hear this preached often on Palm Sunday, and Jesus comes into Jerusalem to head it towards the cross and the resurrection Sunday to die for his people on the cross. And before he gets there, right after this story, we come to verse 12 and says, On the following day, when they came to the Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, here comes a disappointing moment. He found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said, it, said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. On the initial glimpse of this text, this seems like a very uncharacteristic of hangry Christ, right? <laughs> what makes it the most difficult is the phrase in verse 13 when it says, for it was not the season for figs. Jesus sounds unreasonable to expect the figs at a wrong season at that. Scholars debate this over and over again, the, the phrase that says, not the season for the figs, in various ways. Some scholars will say the Middle Eastern fig tree bore two different kinds of fruit, nodules and figs. So before the actual figs that came in later in the fall, because this is time of springtime, the Passover was, during the springtime, when Jesus is approaching the stream, they produce what we call a little nodules that were really good to eat. Not figs, but nodules. And many travelers would take in and eat it on their way. So the scholar would say, Jesus is expecting the nodules to be present, but this fig tree did not have it. Some scholars would say, it's not about the expected food at all. In fact, Jesus is approaching the tree that seems to give a life abundance, but the figs, regardless of the season, are not present. And they would say this is a figurative message, an active parable, or as some theologians call it, a prophetic symbolism of a tree that is diseased and dying, although giving an appearance of life-giving. Either way you look at it, two factors remain the same in this story. The first factor is that this is not just hangry Jesus moment. Yes, the text said Jesus is hungry. But remember back to the feeding miracles that we saw time and time again, and the incident that happened right after the feeding miracles, the disciples are debating with one another, saying, why did we bring leftovers? And Jesus turns to them and says, why are you talking about that? The bread of life is here. So it would be hypocritical for Christ to say, well, I'm hungry, I'm going to curse this tree. So this doesn't seem to indicate hangry moment of Christ. Second factor that remains the same, regardless of whether you fall within the nodules or not, is Jesus was expecting this tree to produce something because as they approached the tree, this tree, while giving a false impression of health, is not producing any fruit for anyone. Which indicates that although in the outer appearance the tree seems healthy, internally it is diseased, decaying, and even dying. 
perishing away. This knowledge of fruitlessness is further exemplified as Jesus now enters the temple in the following verses. And if you thought Jesus was angry at the tree, you see angry Jesus, the righteous anger being played out in the new heights in the temple in verse 15. And as they came to Jerusalem, it says in verse 15, he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it is not written, my house, is it not written, my house shall be called house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it all, uh, you have made it a den of robbers, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking the ways to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out to the city. Church, if the city, uh, if the tree acted as active parable, the temple story is as straightforward as any point in the scripture. And Jesus says, after all, it is not, is it not written? Do you not see it? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, ethnos, where we get the word ethnicity from. But you have made it a den of robbers. To quickly give you the context of his righteous anger in doing this, his anger is pointed at the outer court where the Gentiles, ethnos, ethnos, all ethnos were allowed to gather. The temple had three courts, the Holy of Holies, where the holiness God dwelt, where the only high priest once a year went to. And then the next court after that was for the Israelites to come. And the third court was where the Gentiles, ethnos, were able to come and meet with God. And what he finds at this temple church is rather than it being a place of worship, place where the Gentiles, ethnos, could come, all people could come and meet God of Israel, God of the universe. There was busyness of business that was happening. A spectacle was happening here. The ancient historian Josephus tells us that in Passover week, one year, 255,000 lambs were bought, sold, and sacrificed in the inner court. Imagine that. All these animals, people, selling, exchanging money, just think stock market on steroids, going all over the place in the house of worship. Okay, make sure that you don't miss this out. This is not about the quietness of worship. It's not about the orderliness of worship. It is not talking about making a, some kind of worship that everybody needs to adhere to. What this is talking about is making space for the Gentiles, ethnos, to meet God, and that was not happening. So what's happening was rather than making room for this ethnos, marginalized, the outskirts to have a place of worship, this place where that should happen was used to exploit them, push them further out, eventually excluding them, the others, ethnos, away from the presence of God. Church, what these two stories show us is the stern warning of the reality of Israelites as Jesus prepares to go to the cross. The fig tree along with the vine is often used in the Old Testament to describe the people of God. Hosea chapter 9, verse 10 says, Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season. 
And we all remember the temple all throughout the Old Testament, the importance of this dwelling place of God with men, God's house, God's people. And we saw through First and Second Samuel, as we saw the priest to us, what it represented for the Israelites, having presence of God meant for them. So what we see again in these two narratives is Jesus is condemning the appearance of worshipfulness, appearance of God-centeredness, outer appearance of doing the right things, yet fruitlessness, lack of fruit, lack of love for others. As Pastor Tim Keller says, Jesus is purging the temple and advocating for the ethnos, Gentiles, making a room for the marginalized. Church, as you read this story this morning, this is not just a warning for the Israelites at the time. I believe it is a warning for us, the church today, a warning for all of us Christ followers, especially in the climate that we live in today. You and I, the church today, adults, children, teenagers, all of us, the church The warning is, you and I may look very fruitful on the outside. Maybe you look like we got everything all together. But the question is, are our lives, your lives, is our church marked by the fruit of the Spirit? Are we being a witness to the watching world, making room for the marginalized, often forgotten, often mistreated people to know Christ? Or are we rather putting hindrance? roadblocks along the way to people coming to know Christ. The question is, what is church arguing over today? Is how we could overcome to love other people what we're arguing about? Are we arguing about how I'm going to be more humble than you are, lowering ourselves in light of who Christ is? Are we arguing over how we're going to reach the gospel, how we're going to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or rather, are we arguing over ideologies? Are we arguing over politics? Are we arguing over preferences? Jesus comes to the temple, the tree, the full of emptiness, legalism, ceremonies that do not satisfy the hungry hearts, not only ours, you know that, but the watching ethnos, the world. And for some of us, this is all we have embraced, rules, ideas, If I do this for God, God will pay me back in some way. And not only that you and I leave hungry if we hold on to that, hangry at times, but we do not have the fruit that could satisfy the longing hearts, not only our own hearts, but the hearts of those who are watching, seeking something in this church, in the followers of God who will satisfy their desires. May the gospel of Jesus Christ offend you and I this morning. May the gospel give our church a stern warning this morning, not from me, but from Christ himself in the word of God. May gospel Christ point at our hearts and seek fruit and give a stern warning of fruitlessness. Are our fruit attractive to ethnos? but not only to the ethnos, but also to our Lord Jesus Christ, who comes expecting the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, fruit of repentance, justice, and mercy 
in the church. And you know what's the most scary part of this story? Read what it says in verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it. They were present. And they were seeking. Their response was not repentance, but response was seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. The question is, what is our reaction to the call of Christ this morning? What is our response this morning? Church, this is hard. Just the other day, I was with a good friend of mine with my wife and my son, and we stopped by Jimmy John's to grab sandwiches. And as we were grabbing sandwiches, I wanted to get water for my son. And I asked for a cup of water, and they said, no, you have to buy it for a drink. And for some reason, some way, I just got really angry. <laughs> I'm saying, I just want water. But say, no, that's our policy. We can't give it to you. You have to buy it. And I gave the most unloving attitude in the world to this person who has so much energy and hope and just being so cheery at the time. It was to the point the person I was with, as well as my wife, and my son noticed it. And as I got in the car, I had it. They gave it to me. Right? You should go apologize to that person. You should do this. That was not the right way to treat that person. You know what? I wish I could have said, yes, you're right. Let me repent. But you know, the whole drive, I was justifying myself. I said, I don't want to hear that. The person should have just given me the water. I'm paying them money to get the sandwiches anyway. And I say, they should treat me better. I deserve better. Church, I had to repent so much of my fruitlessness at that moment throughout the car ride to my family and my friend. What is your response this morning? Are we embracing the grace of God in this morning? Are we leading to repentance at the kindness he displays on the cross? Are we closing our ears to the warning of the tree? But get this, church. Jesus doesn't just end with the warning of the tree. He doesn't simply say, you're wrong here. He doesn't simply say, you're wrong and I'm disappointed. Not only does he give us a warning of the tree, but our response of repentance is drowned out as we look at this text and the promise of the tree that is embedded in it. The promise of the tree that is embedded in this story. I know many of you are watching Olympics. I'm a, our family is a big part of that as well. And uh, the star of Olympic Games, as they say, is Simone Biles, the GOAT, the greatest, the best ever, undisputed greatest gymnast, possibly greatest Olympian ever. If you have not had a chance to watch her perform, man, it is breathtaking to say the least. Even before the, the program begins, it's almost like she's got this, right? She's like, who's going to win? Even if she falls and tumbles a couple times, she's going to win it. Like, it's almost like foregone conclusion. The promise is she's going to be the greatest ever. She will just prove it. She's got it almost assured thing. So much promise, anticipation. It's almost a coronation of the queen of gymnastics stage. You know, similarly, even with the warning of this tree, 
we see Christ's promise so embedded in this gospel text, we can help but to respond to this. Read this with me in verse 20. As they passed in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And you're thinking, like, Pastor, I thought there's a promise here, right? The tree should be, like, producing fruit. Um, Follow with me. Verse 21, And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. It will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. Jesus and disciples come back to the place of the fig tree in verse 20 and see it withered away. And Peter points it out in his original Greek with emphasis is placed and says, Look, remember the time that you cursed this? It's withered right? To draw our attention to the tree again, to make sure we look at the tree and what happened to it. And Jesus, again, seizing this moment, is teaching them, gently guiding them, disciples on the promise of God in the tree. He starts out by saying, have faith in God. And it's important for us to note, it's not saying, have lots of faith. You have to have faith. What is emphasized, it is, what are you having faith in? The object of faith. Have faith in God is emphasized here. And when Jesus uses the phrase, whoever says to this mountain, we have to remember that this phrase was a familiar terminology that was commonly used in rabbinic circles at the time, in the Israelites' time. This was used figuratively for the accomplishing of something that was impossible, incredible. He's basically saying, like, whoever said this mountain, God could do just amazing things. So here, sometimes, many take this portion out of context. It often becomes all about, you could ask anything to God, and God can do it, right? It becomes a prosperity gospel, because it's all about getting what you want. Where there's an aspect of prayer that we'll get into that in a little bit, but we must start with the promise have faith in God, and how that leads into our prayer. Basically, what Jesus is telling us is have faith in God who is able to do the impossible. And the hope that you and I could have is that he can do the impossible. And what is this impossible that he's talking about in light of the fig tree and the temple? The impossible that God is talking about is the fig tree and the temple represents who you and I are. Apart from God, you and I cannot do anything. We are fruitless. But what's on display throughout this story is God is able to do immeasurably more than you and I could imagine. That begins with the gospel message in our hearts. Four facts of the gospel that's embedded in this story. First thing is, Jesus flips the table and curses this tree. And you may think, why is that a gospel message? Church, that's a gospel message because he's angry. He's angry enough to flip the tables, to make the scene out of this, so people know what is going on. Why? Because Jesus wants to deal with sin. Imagine that, our brokenness. Jesus wants to deal with our fruitlessness. He doesn't just pass by to say, well, lost cause. 
There's no hope here. Rather than passing by without doing anything about it, our God of the universe, Jesus, comes and flips the tables and points it out and says, I want to deal with your mess. And if that's not amazing grace, I don't know what it is. The God of the universe, creator, the holy almighty set apart, wants to deal with you this morning. You and I, all of us, all our struggles, all our sin, all our addictions, all our failures, he wants to deal with that. He wants to flip our life upside down. As in the words of David in Psalm 8, who are we that he, God, is mindful of us? If you're sitting here this morning, if you're listening, the gospel message says he wants to deal with you. He does not want to leave you where you are in your sin. Church that preaches repentance, preaches on sin, does not merely want to make you feel bad about the sin the gospel points at. We do that so the gospel grace could enter and deal with that in your life. That's the gospel we see in this text. Second truth is that Jesus is hungry. Did you catch that in verse 12? You may think, yeah, he's hungry, right? He's looking for things. But did you catch that? The powerful phrase that he is hungry? Here is God himself. John tells us he is living word of God. And in Genesis, we see that he was present the Word, the agent of God's creation himself. Here is God himself who multiplied the bread and the fish to feed 5,000 and 4,000. Here is God, creator of a fig tree. Here is God who can do all things at the flick of his finger. Here is God who is able to do anything and everything by the words that come out of his mouth. But notice, he says he's hungry. He is God-man. He takes on the flesh. He plays the games. He plays the, he submits himself to God, submits himself to time, restriction of humanity, needing to eat. He takes on the flesh, considers himself and then he lowers himself, humbles himself to take on the flesh, to walk with us, to deal with our sin. Church, that's hope. That's the promise wrapped up in a single word, that he is hungry. Praise the Lord that he is hungry. Amen. Praise the Lord that our God would take on human flesh to walk with us. And he will walk on this earth. He walked on this earth. The miracle of incarnation is wrapped in that word. He's hungry. Third gospel truth. Jesus dies on the tree. Church, he's a true tree who will bear the fruit. He is true Israelite. Where Israel has failed, Jesus will not. While Israel looks fruitful on the outside, but fruitless on the inside, where Israel, the temple house of the Lord, becomes a place of den of robbers, Jesus dies on a tree to produce fruit for us. And he is the God dwelling with mankind, Emmanuel, so you and I could have relations with God. That is embedded in this story. 
And the fourth truth, he promises, Jesus promises fruit bearing in you and I. You, we, as God's people, are the fig tree. Jesus is expecting the fruit, but it's not in the works based on righteousness by our own. But he does come and expect it. Why? Not because you and I could produce it on our own, but you will produce the fruit as you remain in Christ, as you place yourself firmly in the work of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ. That is why he will expect the fruit and he will, you and I will bear the fruit again because he could do the impossible. Doesn't this remind us of Psalm 23 when it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. How can you and I produce fruit? when we are firmly planted by the streams of water that is Christ. And he also harkens back to John 15, 5, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Church, again, fruit of the Spirit, it's just that Spirit of the Lord that dwells in you and I richly, and he cannot help but to bear fruit. It's not about who you are, but who God is that dwells within your heart. As he is alive in you, as he is working in your life, that is a sign and the evidence that you will prosper. You can do these things impossible through us. That's the promise of the gospel. And what promise is this? That God of the universe to walk with us, to die on the cross for us, to rise again for us, so you and I could live for him. That is the promise, and that is God, Christ says, have faith in. He is able to do the impossible. He is able to overcome your sin. He is able to overcome your addiction. He is able to overcome your fruitlessness. And he will bear fruit because of his grace. You and I are who we are by the grace of God that is at work. In us. Church, do you hear the gospel preached again and again and again throughout all this? In his righteous anger, cursing of the tree, flipping over the tables, we see God who does the impossible. And church, here's a gospel invitation and response this morning in light of that. Pray. Right? Isn't that what Jesus says? Pray to this God. For a moment, let's set aside all the qualifiers for a little bit. I know, sometimes, you know, we, this can be taken out of context, and we say, pray for all these things, and God will give it to you. That's not what it's saying, right? So let's take the, all the qualifiers out for a little bit, but let's focus again on what it's saying. We see the Scripture tells us to pray to this God, and we saw it throughout the Old Testament. Here is the Creator God, the plague-sending, water-splitting, manna-providing God, God who is able to bring nations to its knees. Kings and queens are under His authority. He's able to bring life to the valley of dry bones. Pray to this God. Not only so, we saw throughout the Gospel of Mark, God-man who walks on earth, who takes on human flesh, Miracle worker who heals and overcomes death and sickness, the fruit multiplier 
who provides and feeds those who are hungry. He is ever so present Father who loves, walks, draws people to himself. And here he is in the church, the promise, the lamb who takes away the sins of this world. Church, pray to this God to do the impossible in your life. Pray to this God to deal with the sin problem that you have in your life. Pray to this God to repent of your ongoing addiction, struggle, wrestling. Pray to this God for the fruit to be born in your life so that others may see. Pray for the relationship, for God of the universe to do the impossible, first changing your heart. And the greatest miracle of them all is that unbearing fruit tree that you and I are is not thrown out and damned forever in eternity, but he's going to work to transform your life and I so you and I could produce this fruit in accordance to the work he's doing in us. So when he says, forgive others in this text, again, he is reorienting our focus on the greatest miracle of them all. Not just on the circumstances you and I wrestle in. We often really think about when we hear God could do all things. But what God, Jesus is pointing at again by saying forgive others, he's saying the greatest miracle that could ever, I could ever do is dying for you on the cross, rising again to deal with your sin. Transformation of your heart is the greatest miracle that he points to. This is grace. This is the gospel hope. Pray to this God. Church, a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to go back home to Chicago to see my parents for the first time in about two years. One of the things that my parents love to do for me, especially my mom, uh, is to feed me from the produce from the garden that she has in her backyard. She's quite a green thumb. And when you visit my home in Chicago, she has almost all backyard is garden full of vegetation, cucumbers, tomatoes, uh, lettuce leaves. Even grapes, I noticed, it was growing. There's cherry tree in the middle of the yard. Peppers, you name it. She labors and labors and labors all year long so that when her son comes to visit her once a year, she produces this fruit from the garden to feed us. Lots of love. Lots of labor at that. And if you're a gardener, you know that. Consistent watering, consistent weeding, consistently taking care so that your garden can produce fruit in its season. Church, God works us like that. He's a loving gardener. You're the loving tree. He's ever, ever watering, working, weeding at times though it hurts, so that you can bear fruit in its season. But you know what's the most amazing thing about this grace of God? When I was eating this fruit of the garden, the vegetation, in order for the fruit that I consume to produce energy and power within me to go forth and live that day, 
the fruit has to die in my system. You have to eat it. I know we don't think about it like that. Vegetation, you pluck it out of the ground, it's dead. You eat it, it produces energy in you. The scripture tells us ultimate first fruit is Christ. He's our source of energy and power. Corn of wheat that falls to the ground and dies so that we can produce fruit. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruit, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. This is the gospel hope. Amen. Let's pray. Church, as you close your eyes, let's pray this prayer. Lord, change me of my fruitlessness. Restore unto me the joy of salvation. May I bear fruit in its season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that we find in this text, the cursing of the fig tree and the turning of the tables at the temple. It's full of grace of God and the gospel of hope and how you point us again to look to the cross, the greatest miracle of them all, the God of the universe will humble himself, the point of walking with us, but humble himself further to die on the cross, and rise again to be the first fruit of those who remain in him. Father, we may never let go of the truth, and may the gospel hope draw us near to you in repentance, in forgiving, and in receiving forgiveness so that we could bear fruit in his season, so that watching ethnos may know who Christ is. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.